What do these new look nets look like? How do they match up against the Sixers? And what should we expect from Mikael Bridges in his playoff debut as the best player on the team? We'll talk about that and more. Welcome into the Locked On NBA preview. I'm Nick Angstead of Locked On NBA, and I'm joined by Adam Armbrecht of Locked On Nets to give you everything you need to know about the Brooklyn Nets going into the postseason. Adam, we've talked several times this season. You've been on Locked On NBA many times this year talking about all the crazy wild stories about the Nets. Uh, we had a crossover after the trade happened with Kyrie. There was a Kevin Durant trade to the Suns. All these things have happened to the Nets. And now this team is completely different than the one you started the season with. But what's the biggest on-court story? Let's let's push all that to the side, Patrick Star style. Push it all to the side and let's just focus on <laughs> what's the biggest on-court story for this team. Just clarifying here, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are no longer Brooklyn Nets. That, that's what you're telling me. Good Lord, things. Turns out. Life comes at you fast, as they say, uh, once upon a Ferris Bueller. Yeah, listen, on court-wise for the Brooklyn Nets, you mentioned the name there. It's Mikhail Bridges. He is one of the players that were brought back in return from the Phoenix Sun trade. The other one in Jay Crowder ended up making his way onto the Milwaukee Bucks eventually, along with Mikhail Bridges came Cam Johnson too. But since the trade, Effectively, what seems to be the narrative that NBA GMs understood around Mikhail Bridges because the Nets were offered reportedly four first round picks to have a pass through trade and send Mikhail somewhere else is that they knew that he could be a star once he played as the number one player on a roster. And that's exactly what he's done in Brooklyn now. So on court in this series upcoming with the Philadelphia 76ers, the question might be, I think it's an affirmative yes. Can Mikhail Bridges continue to be a 27-28 point scorer for the Brooklyn Nets in a playoff series against one of the top three seeds in the Eastern Conference. What's the playoff rotation now for this team? Uh, give me like the starting lineup, a couple of players you expect to definitely come off the bench, and if there's anybody on the bubble in this rotation playing in uh, this first playoff series. Yeah, it's fascinating. So four-fifths of the starting lineup for the Brooklyn Nets is different from pre-trade era for the team. You have, uh, obviously, Mikhail Bridges. You have Cam Johnson. You have Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith, who came over from your Dallas Mavericks. And then the one holdover still in that starting rotation is Nicholas Claxton. The expectations would be that they continue to go that way. Arguably, you could say that Royce O'Neal, who was playing in the starting lineup in the Kevin Durant version of this team, has performed more consistently than Dorian Finney-Smith, but it seems unlikely that Jock Vaughn is going to make that kind of change. So you have your starting five, Royce O'Neal is the consistent contributor coming off the bench, and then you really you have to look at the rest of this lineup and say, Sean Marks mentioned it, the GM for the Brooklyn Nets, we're going to test some players for the backup five, but we believe in Dayron Sharp, and that's who your backup five is going to be in these playoffs. So you'll have some Dayron Sharp minutes, something in the 15, maybe a little bit higher minute mark per game here. And you mentioned about bubble guys. You start to wonder about Seth Curry, who was getting 15 minutes a game down the stretch here, despite wow. what fans were clamoring for. And that's anyone else. You have Joe Harris, the veteran who gets back into his bench role and more consistent from beyond the arc, a previous starter in the, in the other iteration of this team, too. So those are the players that have been getting minutes. And if you want to make a case for bubble guys, Edmund Sumner would be one of them for me. And then obviously a player, maybe like Yuta Watanabe. Again, these are two contributors that have seen themselves dramatically just put to the back end of this roster. But when you think about this Brooklyn Nets team, they are supposed to be able to lean on the fact that they are deep, if not top end 
you know, quality players relative to other playoff teams. We just haven't seen Jacques Vaughn lean into enough of those minutes consistently down the stretch to believe it could be the case in the playoffs. Edmund Sumner of, look at our starting lineup, Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris fame of the Kevin Durant quote. That's from, right, baby. From not from five months ago, that was that was the conversation around this team. Um, it's just insane, man. It's insane what's happened with this roster and the fact that we're discussing players like these in ways of, well, what can their playoff impact be, right? You know, Edmund Sumner, it's not a knock on him. It's not a knock on a Utah yeah, Kevin Durant said that too. <laughs> yeah, by, yeah, by the way, once upon a time, Kevin Durant let you know how he felt about some of the players. But it, it does make it interesting to think about how they go. And the big theme, just to reiterate it, since the trade, Jock Vaughn and the Nets said, we're going to reward or honor the veterans that are on this team. The guys that I'm naming, Seth Curry, 30-plus years old, even on an expiring contract, Joe Harris, over 30, Royce O'Neal, over 30, and then even some of the players that they brought in, and Dorian Finney-Smith, and recently birthday boy uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. So all these guys, right, they're, they're leaning on the idea that these are veteran experienced players and collectively that starting unit and a couple of those bench rotation players do have playoff experience just in different iterations on different rosters. What are the biggest strengths and weaknesses of this team? Basically, how have they won games since now this brand new starting lineup has taken shape and how have they lost games in general? Yeah, the weakness for this team for the last, I don't know, half decade has been not having enough size at the five, whether or not it's positionless basketball and especially in a matchup like this against Joel Embiid. Nicholas Claxton has evolved his game. The offensive end of the floor looks far more diverse than it has in previous seasons, but he is not the biggest body in the world, and he's going to get beat up underneath the basket at times despite his ability to still give ground and impact shots. Likewise, for a guy like Dameron Sharp coming off the bench, relatively inexperienced, is he going to be able to manage his fouls in a more physical style of playoff basketball? So the size is the weakness. The rebounding is a big weakness for this team. On the strength side of it, it's ironic that Spencer Dinwiddie comes back over in the Dallas trade, and he's really a traditional two-guard playing off ball. He gets thrust into a facilitator role, and turns out he might be like a top 10 at that if he chooses to do it. <laughs> so their strength offensively has been staying consistent in the rotations, providing floor spacing, making the extra passes, but it's so heavily predicated, as with most teams. But with the Brooklyn Nets, it is so heavily predicated on knocking down their perimeter shots. The three ball is falling, then they're in games. Then they can get out in transition. They can continue to provide floor spacing that opens up the paint for a guy like Mikhail Bridges, who has shown an elite level in a specific area of navigating to open spaces on the court and knocking down mid-range jumpers. Once one of those things starts to falter, the lack of passing, the lack of spacing, and the lack of perimeter shooting going down, things do bog down for this team offensively, and we've seen them <clears throat> give up defensive spurts where there's been multiple 30, 40-point quarters since this trade, in spite of the fact that they have a lot of versatile defensive players who can rotate onto different assignments. The FanDuel line right now to beat the Sixers in the series is plus 560 in favor of the uh, the Sixers, and that's a, a pretty high line. We were talking about it before. The Sixers are minus 800 to win that series. Um, right now, FanDuel is giving the Nets the least likely chance to win their series of the four that we have uh, slated right now what has to happen for them for that plus 560 to work out for somebody that's putting money on the nets what would have to happen for them to beat the sixers uh, i think you're talking to like five people in the world right now probably but yeah exactly <laughs> right for you five guys out there I, I mean listen if you want to at least make the series interesting and, and put that possibility on the table you have to steal a game on the road that's just the standard if you do the math on a seven game series but more importantly it's that 
you, you are taking on a Philadelphia 76ers team that through different iterations has been an underachiever, right? You've had Joel Embiid, but injuries have bogged him down. You now have James Harden, but he is not necessarily a playoff stalwart when it comes to some of the performances that he's put out going back to his time in Houston and then even across through Brooklyn. So, you know, out of the top tier matchups, at least Philadelphia still has something to prove. But I, again, you have to steal a game early. Maybe you surprise him in the first one. The three ball has to fall every game. And I don't mean at 35%. It's got to fall at 45%, upwards towards 50%. They need lights out shooting performances from everyone that touches the ball on the outside, includes a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith, who has not been able to find that stroke recently. And then defensively, I think avoiding foul trouble, avoiding getting the 76ers into the bonus early in quarters, that's going to be critical as well. Because once you get to that place, not only is it going to pile up fouls against certain key players like a Claxton, maybe like a Dayron Sharp, when you're just not going to have someone else to lean on, you're also going to put a guy like Joel Embiid at the line. He's incredibly consistent there. And you could find yourself losing in the margin solely on getting beaten at the charity stripe by 15, 20, 30% by the time you look back on most of these games. Dorian Finney-Smith just misses his horse, Peanut, back in Dallas that he had with his, with his, with his family. So he, I said bring him with him. I said trade for the horse, too, but, you know. Separate a man from his horse and apparently can't hit a can't three it all, in. It all falls apart. We all have those things, Nick. We all have those totems. It's not the family. It's the horse. It's like, take my family, but not the horse. Sorry. Oh, def- He's definitely missed in Dallas for sure. Uh, go check out Locked on Nets for everything covering this team daily on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, going live a lot after games. So uh, great stuff from Adam and Doug Nori over there. Again, uh, Locked on Nets on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us on the Locked on NBA Playoff Preview.